Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss. We live in an age of social media influencers. You know, the people who translate their follower count into dollars. And we also live in an age where fitness and wellness are fully fledged industries. I'll bet money you've probably taken a yoga class, know someone who's taken a yoga class, or maybe you teach yoga. I think we've all probably tried yoga at this point. At the very least, we've sat cross-legged or laid like a baby, maybe when we were babies. But now when you combine the two, you get someone like Rachel Brathen, a.k.a. Yoga Girl. Rachel's someone who, when you peep her Instagram account, you'll quickly learn a few things like she knows how to do a perfect handstand on the beach with her cute kid in tow. From the outside looking in, it can look like she is the perfect life, living and teaching yoga on the beach. But Rachel is a serial entrepreneur, a New York Times bestselling author, and the founder of three different nonprofits. She's managed to turn yoga into a multi-layered business enterprise. And it hasn't been easy. I'm in the business of yoga. Even those two words, business and yoga, for a lot of people don't go well together. And it's really common for people in the yoga industry to get completely taken taken advantage of because of this idea that it's almost shameful to make money out of something that you love and something so sacred. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. On today's show, I sat down with Rachel Brathen, founder and CEO of Yoga Girl, to learn about how she went from social media influencer to a serial entrepreneur, what it's like to live and work in Aruba, and the ups and downs of being authentic on social media. Here's our conversation. Rachel, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm so sorry you're not feeling well. Thanks for doing it anyway. Oh, yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And you're in Aruba. I am. That's where I you am. live. I'm looking at the ocean right now. Yeah. So you're That's sick in live. Aruba. I'm still envious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so we used to close every episode with this question, and now we're starting to open every episode with this question, which is a question about success, which is just this funny concept that we've all been sold that is we make money. We buy the house or we sit by the infinity pool or we move to Aruba and, you know, take up yoga and our life is perfect, right? So my first question for you is what does success mean to you? It's such a hard, hard question to answer. I feel like every year it morphs into a different, different thing. I mean, in the in the very beginning, for me, actually moving to uh, Aruba, I was flat broke. Um, I'd been living in Costa Rica in a shack on the beach for three years, um, basically just, you know, meditating my way into something. I don't know. I didn't have any goal or plan or I just wanted to be happy. So for me, then success for me was just, oh, imagine having some sort of means so that I can sustain a lifestyle like this without having to ever worry about, you know, putting food on on the table. And moving to Aruba was this big moment for me because for the first time in my life, I started teaching yoga full time. And then within a year, I could actually um, support myself doing that, um, which wasn't much, but it was enough, you know, just to to feed myself and to feed my dog every day. And I was so happy. That was this big, pivotal, successful moment in my life. And then every year as, you know, my, my business grew and I started teaching and started teaching internationally and all over the world. And then every year that, you know, 
answer would be a little bit different. Like, oh, wow, I had a hundred people come to class today. How crazy. You know, what if I had a thousand people come to class? Is that success? And then I had a thousand people come to class and then it was like, huh, okay, well, maybe it's not about the numbers or the idea of what it looks like, but it's about what's created in that moment. You know, the, the, the sharing of something really genuine that I can, that I can have with people that come to see me. I don't know. Right now, success would be just having some peace of mind and, um, yeah, feeling really healthy. <laughs> and, you know, you have spent a lot of time meditating and a lot of time doing yoga. And I'm curious because many of us look at someone like you and think, oh, she must be so happy. She must be so much closer to God than me. She spent so many more hours contemplating the meaning of life and she has a great lifestyle. But I imagine that you're grappling with the same things that everyone else is. Um, does having practiced yoga for this long, do you think it's really like led you to happiness or made you much happier? Do you feel like you're still grappling with the same stuff that you were before you started doing yoga? And what does yoga really do for you? I mean, I think I think some people need more of these tools than others. I come from a really kind of fucked up background and I had really none of that growing up. I mean, no peace of mind, just total chaos and a lot of loss and grief and struggles and, and all of that. So I was at a place where I just needed something like yoga or meditation to function. And I think if you come from a place where you don't necessarily have that need, it doesn't mean that you're further away from from God or from union. Maybe it means that you're you're closer. You know, you don't need this big tool to get you through the day every day. Um, so I think that idea that just because you meditate or you, or you do yoga, you're somehow better than anybody else. I think not at all. I mean, and we all find those tools in different ways. What led you to yoga? You know, cause you, you mentioned your childhood. I'd love to hear just a little bit more about that and your path to finding yoga. I come from a kind of chaotic, uh, chaotic family. My family is very split. I have eight siblings, uh, about to have my ninth sibling. My dad just never stops having kids. Um, and there was a lot of divorce and split families again and again. So I had this kind of chaotic upbringing. And then when I was five, my mom lost her fiance in a, in a plane crash. And after that has been extremely depressed and suicidal almost my whole life. And she speaks about this really openly. We have a really good relationship now. But for me, I kind of grew up with this idea thinking that it's my job to save everybody. And I put myself in this role of having to fix everything or make everything better for everybody else. So I never actually knew what it was like to put myself first. And I found meditation that way. I came to a place where I was really depressed, drinking seven days a week, smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. I was just going down this very sad path and um, randomly was faced, I don't know, through grace of God or, or something, was um, found myself at a meditation retreat that actually totally changed my life. I was 18 years old. What did you learn through meditating? I learned that it's okay to feel your feelings. <laughs> and I think that the biggest problem that I'd ever had in my life was the fact that I'd never ever learned that it's okay to be sad or that it's okay to be angry, being angry, being frustrated, being fearful, insecure. Um, it's not shameful. You know, we don't have to walk around and be happy all the time, but it's actually okay to have those feelings and finding a healthy way to express them and to hold space for them is, is the thing that's changed my life the absolute most. 
And so from your time in Costa Rica, you've manifested a lot of things. You're a New York Times bestseller of a book called Yoga Girl. You're very on brand and consistent. That's familiar to me. You have an Instagram account with over 2 million followers. You have a yoga studio called Island Yoga in Aruba. So you're someone that's manifested a lot in your life from very little, less than a lot of us have. What would your tips be for manifesting? Like one, what's, what is manifesting? And then what would your tips be for those of us who are trying to figure out how to make things happen in our lives? I think for a lot of us, when we when we have a dream or a goal or something that we're really looking to create, because of how our minds normally work, I think especially if we don't have the practice of, of meditation or the practice of um, sitting in stillness or the practice of holding space for what is, I think the, the go-to for the mind is always to look for the negative all the time. Um, so we look at all the reasons why this thing we want to do is not going to work out. Well, I don't have any money or I don't have any you know, connections, no network. I have no education in this, which of course puts us on this vibration of everything being really hard from the start and then taking any sort of action feels really really far-fetched you know anytime I have a new idea or something I want to do I try to immediately look for all the reasons why I can just to get on that positive road of for sure it's possible life teaches me that every day everything is possible and most of the time what's in the way it's it's me Mm-hmm. You know, what I find is that everything in practice is much easier than in anticipation because I ruin everything and make it so difficult in my head before it even happens <laughs> that by the time I walk into it, it's like a cakewalk, which right. may- maybe is a good thing, but it's also just like so much <laughs> unnecessary like strife in my head about things that are actually in you know, in practice, super duper easy. Yeah. One of the things you've manifested is a massive social media following and you started really early in the yoga space. I'm so curious how you have amassed over 2 million followers. So many of our listeners are struggling to find their first thousand followers for their small business and understand personal branding or branding for their small business. How is it that you've connected with so many people? And do you have any tips for those of us who want to build a social media following? I do things kind of a a little bit of an untraditional way, and I know my way isn't for everyone, but uh, I, I practice radical vulnerability as, as often as I can. So whereas there's pieces of my life that are really dreamy and inspirational, and I live on the beach, and I teach yoga for a living, and, and all of these things, I do my very best to share the things that absolutely don't work in my life, too, or my insecurities, or my fears, or... Um, I've, of course, as any other person, I've had a lot of struggles in my life and I try to share those as much as I share the highs and the successes. And this was also, of course, timing. I mean, I, I started my account, I think 2012. So yoga and the online world was this totally new concept. And I was in a, in a good moment for that, of course, as well, just by being really honest about everything. I think it's, it's allowed me to create a much deeper relationship with everyone who follows along. So it doesn't actually feel like a following. It feels like a community because we exchange stories every day. Mm -hmm. And I learn so much from everybody, you know, who's listening and everyone I speak to um, as well. But I know it's not for everyone. We talk about sometimes uh, on my own uh, podcast, we talk about um, vulnerability hangover. Sometimes we overshare and it's not for everyone to, to, um, be super vulnerable all the time. But for me, it's been also a part of my healing journey that when I go through something heavy, I write about it. Is 
Has there been a downside to sharing certain things with your community or with people who maybe aren't your community, who happen to follow you and you don't really know who's looking or who's listening? Have there been times where you wish you hadn't shared something or it kind of came back to bite you? The few times that I've really, or the only times I would say where I really felt like, okay, I, I regret sharing that much. It's been since becoming a mom. And actually, I had no idea... I mean, the world of mothering, the the amount of judgment that's present there and how many things are just, that for me weren't big deals. Like, I don't know, what you feed your kid or if you're using regular diapers or cloth diapers. Like for some people, it's like you're a monster if you use a regular diaper because you're not doing your part for the environment. Yeah, I just posted a photo that I had to delete of myself standing behind like three poppies in a poppy field and I got like destroyed on social media and it was like such a pretty picture but what was wrong with it what um, was wrong with apparently the I'm destroying public lands and I'm a monster oh, um and then someone instagrammed they said like no wonder her glass door reviews are like two stars look at you know it's just like people drag up like oh, the most man. like shitty personal things from like five years ago in my life that like I'm trying to move past just because I posted a picture with like you know standing like hmm. on some plain dirt behind like three poppies that I didn't smash it sucks right what can you do about that you know you want to you can't live your life like that either like oh I don't want to offend anybody so I have to do everything right and in the end you're gonna end up betraying yourself or just so. yeah totally sterile so you have built a multi-million dollar business. I want to get into that just a little bit. You mentioned you had 100 people show up for a yoga class and then 1,000 people show up for a yoga class. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, so once you were able to feed yourself and feed your dog, which you mentioned, what happened next? How did you start building your business? It wasn't until I got pregnant, which was three years ago, that I ever sat down at any point in my career to think about what do I want to do next? So I'm, I'm a very impulsive person my whole life and also my career has kind of been, oh, well, there's an opportunity here. Let's go for that. And now this other thing came up. Oh, let's go for that. And then someone asked, do you want to write a book? Okay, sure, let's do that. So I think I was just a yes sayer really with, with everything in the beginning and everything was so exciting and going from having 10 people in my class to uh, I was in, in Florida for a um, with my, my boyfriend who had a, a skate shop at the time, we went to Surf Expo and someone asked me on Instagram and I had a few thousand followers and they said, oh, you're in Orlando. Are you going to teach a class when you're here? And the thought just never occurred to me that I could just do that <laughs> and didn't have to be a big deal. So I, um, I just said, sure. Okay. Wait, there's one person in Orlando wants to take a class with me. How cool. Okay. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to try to find a space and I'll let you know. And then I, I Googled, we were in, in Winter Park, I think. And I Googled like Orlando plus yoga studio. And then I cold called like a hundred places and I had no credentials. I didn't know anybody. I mean, I, I think 99 people were like, so who are you and how are you going to fill this class on no notice? And I said, well, I have this little um, thing on Instagram. And they were like, Instagram, what the hell is that? Like, you know, what's your lineage? Who's your teacher's teacher? And, you know, everyone was just kind of not making fun of me, but I didn't get a good response. And then one tiny studio um, who had nothing happening that day were just like, okay, well, well, we'll bring like our intern or someone in to open the doors for you and you can have a class. And I was hoping maybe five people would come. And 50 people came and it just totally blew my blew my socks off 100%. Like, holy shit. I can't believe all these people just from following along on Instagram, they want to come and actually take my class. And then I started doing that. 
I mean, I started just traveling and, and teaching everywhere I went. And then little by little, the classes grew. And so you have multiple businesses now. You run 108.com. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 2014 was a really shitty year for me personally. I It was a good year. I got married, but then my best friend passed away and then my dog passed away and a lot of really heavy things happened in my life. And through sharing that online, I got a really big response from people who were personally going through heavy things, dealing with grief or separation or loss or disease or um, all of these things. And they started reaching out, asking me for help. So 108 for me was the idea of how to bridge the gap between social media and getting actual support, whether that support is, you know, starting a yoga practice in a real studio with real people, building community, or going through a psychologist's office and getting help that way. It's kind of like Netflix for yoga, but there's also, we have a grief therapist on the site, a relationship expert on the site, um, a psychologist who focuses on eating disorders on the site, and of course, a lot of yoga and meditation as well. It's been this beautiful little community of really heartfelt um, offerings. And that's a crowdfunded project. How did you crowdfund that? What, what would your advice be for those of us who want to crowdfund a, a project of ours? So what I thought crowdfunding would be was that, okay, you have this idea, you throw it out there, and then you raise all the funds, and then you go do that thing with the funds. Where actually to crowdfund really successfully, you need to have that project you know, it has to be pretty far along for you to have something legit to show to the world. Uh, and to do that, you actually need some sort of funding. So it actually cost us quite a bit of money to to start up the project before we crowdfunded, kind of saying like, hey, we're going to start this thing that we had already started so that we could show something. Um, so the more prep work you do, I think the higher the chance of, of, of having a successful project done. How much did you end up raising? We raised half a million dollars. Wow. It's the most uh, successful crowdfunded yoga project to date, which is really cool. Hey guys, if you don't know about it, we have our fifth ever Girl Boss Rally coming up here in Los Angeles on the UCLA campus. We're all going to go back to school. This is the school of life for you. We're going to bring together 2,300 women from dozens of countries to hear a hundred of the most inspiring, accomplished entrepreneurs, business leaders, and industry experts over the course of two days here in sunny Los Angeles this June 29th and 30th. If you want to learn more and register for the Girl Boss Rally, just go to girlbossrally.com. See you there. So you began monetizing your social media, you have a yoga studio, you wrote a book, you know, you have a podcast that's very, very successful. All of those things bring in revenue for you, which is amazing to be able to do what you love and build a community and share your life and make a living at it. Has has that ever been a challenge for you? Was there a moment where you were like, wow, this is something I did because I loved it and now it's my job and I feel at odds with the fact that I'm making money from it? Yeah, I definitely did. And I think because um, I'm in the business of yoga, even those two words, business and yoga, for a lot of people don't go well together. I know it's really common within uh, therapy and within body work and massage and things like that, that people sort of expect you to give things away for free, you know, so you love yoga. So, you know, you want to get rich doing that or like it's a selfish thing to charge. And it's really common for people in the yoga industry to get completely taken, taken advantage of because of this idea that it's almost shameful to make money out of something that you love and something so sacred. Um, And I had a really 
amazing podcast episode I did with Deepak Chopra, where we spoke about capitalism and yoga and meditation. And his take on it kind of really changed my perspective on everything. Because of course, we should all make a living. But where is that balance of taking something super sacred, and then inviting other people to share and, 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 and hold that space too, and then profiting off of that. And he said that turn on any American TV right now, and every 30 seconds, you're going to get an ad for something pretty terrible. And he says everything that's good for us, whether that's a gratitude practice or meditation or yoga or sharing or healthy eating, anything has to be commercialized to the point that it becomes bigger than the pharmaceutical companies and gaming or porn or, you know, any of the other industries that are taking up so much space right now. So that in that way, through capitalism, the world will, will heal. And it really shifted my mindset in a, in, a, in a massive way. I mean, it's really radical coming from someone within that field. But in a lot of ways, I, I agree. You know, I don't think anyone is in yoga to, to make millions of dollars. You know, we all want to help other people find tools to heal. I think as long as that intention is there, you're going to end up in a good place. And you give back a lot. You offer free yoga classes? We do. We do on yogagirl.com. Um, we have free classes that change every Wednesday. We offer new classes for anyone, anywhere. And uh, I run three nonprofits also um, that are the, yeah really dear to my heart. Was there a point, because this is something that I think we all, you know, maybe some of us are born, just, you know, with altruism running through our blood. And then there's those of us that have to grow up a little bit and be like, okay, I'm taken care of. Now I can give back to people, whether it's a child or your family or, you know, taking care of yourself even or doing, you know, philanthropy. Was there a point where you said, okay, I have enough room to take care of other people? Or was that something you were always into? Um, I think it goes back to a, a little bit of what I shared in the in the beginning of this show, just uh, me being a fixer or wanting to growing up wanting to fix and help and heal other people. Um, so my uh, the first nonprofit I ever started was 109, uh, 109 World. It's a social mission foundation. So we run uh, missions all over the world to help communities um, in need. I started that at the same time as, as I founded 108 and didn't have any funds. It wasn't like I had this overflowing cup. I was in the middle of a startup pouring everything I had into that startup and then at the same time wanted to get this um, nonprofit organization off the ground, which was a really stupid move. <laughs> I know now that I, with, with time and experience that it's better to wait until your cup is actually overflowing before you you know, start pouring everything you have into something that's just for good. Um, so I ended up depleting myself a lot in that process and had to take a little bit of a step back, had to pause with organization for a while just because it wasn't viable. My business wouldn't be sustainable if I would have continued in that way. So I had to kind of see, okay, well, what can I give away? You know, I can teach for free. Like that's something I can always do. Um, I can invite people to come to the platform for free. We can uh, do a scholarship fund, for instance, that we do now where we have people um, that have been through trauma or people in underserved communities can come to yoga teacher trainings and retreats and heal um, for free. Things like that. Like what's around? What's already present and what can I give? And then now we have, I have an animal shelter here in Aruba as well, an animal rescue foundation and a foundation that works with uh, children who have suffered abuse. And those two are totally different because they came out of an overflowing cup rather than... Mm -hmm trying to make everything work at the same time. So you mentioned having room to take care of other people and even take care of yourself. And that's something we talk a lot about here at Girl Boss. And it's something I struggle with every day, just getting out of bed and walking a mile on a treadmill. It's like 
that's I'm very proud of myself when I do that, you know, and then there's girls at the office who wake up at 530 a.m. and go to a soul cycle class and somehow spin that fast and do push ups on the handlebars, which sounds is like my personal <laughs> hell and I've tried it. And maybe yoga is the, this is a kind of like middle ground that I need to figure out. You know, how do you take care of yourself? Like you're someone who I think a lot of us look at and we're like, wow, she's got this beautiful life. Look, she lives on the beach. She has a beautiful child. (laughs) You know, she's made a living doing what she loves. But like you're working really, really hard and you have to take time out of your day to take care of yourself. What is what's your routine like? How do you take care of Rachel? That's the million dollar question. (laughs) Um, I have a really strong self-care routine. Like I have the things I do every day. Um, And I used to take them for granted before being a mom when I had, you know, what I know is now unlimited time in a day to do whatever the hell I want. Um, Whereas now I have no time. I mean, ever. Um, I've had to really make it a priority. No one is going to come in the middle of the day and serve it to me on a platter. You know, here, let me take your baby or let me take your calls or your meetings or whatever. And you go take this yoga class now. You know, I have to really, and it's an active action. It's not going to happen on its own because I'll always prioritize her or the business or my husband or the house or our animals or, you know, the other things on the list. So it's become this kind of urgent thing. But um, I, um, I had a, I don't know if it's, if I can call it a little burnout, but I had a, a moment last year where, uh, so I lead these retreats and teacher trainings and I love them. I mean, I love them. It's, it's what I'm most passionate about and teaching them and leading them. It's when I'm really in my best place. So because I love it so much and everybody wants to come, I started adding more and more and more. And what went from four or five of those weeks a year became 25 weeks a year where I have 55 people here at the studio and they're with me for 23 days in a row. And then last year, you know, just doing the thing I loved, I overdid it. And then I started getting tired, but then my head was like, but, but you love it, but it's so beautiful. And look at how much you're you so love lucky. It. You better you're be so grateful lucky. for this shit. <laughs> be more grateful, you know, work harder, do more. And I just didn't slow down. And at the end of last year, I got super sick um, from doing what I love, from doing something I'm really grateful and blessed to be able to do. And I'm still dealing with that now. I, every three weeks or so after that, I've had a cold and that's what I'm suffering through right now. So what I'm realizing is going at that speed, which has felt really fine for me, the, the, the rebound of that is slow. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm done with this now. Okay. I rested for two weeks. Come on. Like, let's get back to the normal pace. But my body is just telling me something different. So it's another lesson. I mean, they're never ending. I think we've all been there and this could be irresponsible advice, but I feel like we all have to push ourselves there to know what that feels like and then kind of back off and be like, okay, well, that didn't work. I can't travel this much. I can't do this this many public facing things. I'm an introvert. I'm exhausted. I can only commit to this, but it's only through actually pushing yourself to that limit that you know what a, like a sustainable balance feels like. Oh my God, I love that you said that. I never I would thought love of that. to think that we can all just like find that without pushing ourselves there, mm. but I kind of think that that's how we that's learn. How just we like, know. yeah. How have you set boundaries between your family, your business? Is there, do you have any advice for how we can set boundaries between all those things? Because all of, you know, you're doing yoga with your little girl on Instagram, you're teaching yoga classes and sharing your vulnerabilities. Like, how do you com- do you compartmentalize those things because they are all very related and they're kind of it seems like they're all happening at the same time they are i mean they are <laughs> all, 
all happening mm-hmm. at the same time. I mean, I literally before just getting on this show right now, I hand my baby off to my husband and it's like, okay, see you in, in an hour. But what I've found is if we don't turn everything off and sometimes we have to have that, like, it's almost like one of us has to clap our hands like, okay, you know, time for us now. And then, yeah. you know, we put the baby to bed and then we don't talk about work at all or we don't talk about that thing that we were dealing with all day, but we just get to be for us. If we don't do that, it's easy for those lines to get blurred and then you end up kind of thinking about work all the time or talking about yeah. work all the time. Laying in bed with a laptop until midnight, like exactly. kind of being together, but like not really being together. Yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. And that's also something where maybe you have to push yourself to something that doesn't work to realize, oh, okay, you know, what we need is at least once, one week, one night a week, we need a date night alone, like three, four hours where we go do something super fun and we get to remember what it's like, you know, to not have a kid or like be covered in snot all the time or, you know, talk about work all the time and just be for our relationship, which is really important. You know, I need my alone time too, where I'm just Rachel, not CEO or mom or wife or whatever, but I just get to get back to the core of everything, which is feeling my feelings and sitting with my breath and remembering why I'm doing this in the first place. Yeah, I think of it as watering plants. Like you have to water the flowers and there's Mm. different flowers in your life. And you have to make sure, you know, for me, it's being with our team, but it's also my relationship and it's also myself. You know, I always end up last in line. (laughs) Yeah, and don't we all do that? I don't know. I don't know if it's a female thing. I feel like somehow at least my husband and the men in my life I feel like they're very good at no I'm going for a run now you know totally like yeah I'm not gonna engage in like this bullshit because I'm going to sleep and I'm like (laughs) no 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 we have to finish this yeah yeah we have to and it's like yeah if guys are very good at kind of putting up that wall I don't know I don't want to speak for all men but it sounds like we've had similar experiences okay which leads me to a kind of a related topic we have this thing called girl boss moments here at the office. It's actually something at the top of every week. Our team here in LA and New York um, over video chat all get together. There's about 30 of us and we share our most recent girl boss moments. So a girl boss moment can be pretty much anything. It's just like a moment, your recent history that you're really proud of that you did for yourself that that isn't you know an obligation to someone else, but something that felt like of your own volition you did and you were very proud of it. Man, just from my own volition, I feel like so much, so much of what I automatically think of is kind of for other people. But I, I had a, a girl boss weekend just now. I, uh, my, my husband, he does these Ironman races, and I was alone with the baby, which I'm very rare. I mean, I'm blessed to say I'm very rarely ever completely alone. But I had a total girl boss weekend of just managing everything on my own without. Um, without feeling guilty about anything. So I watered all of our plants and I like filled up the pool and I did all the stuff that my husband does around the house and it felt really good and cooked meals every day and didn't go crazy with my toddler. And we had a meltdown at the grocery store and I was totally mature and an adult about it and didn't cry on the way home. You know, I felt I felt really good about um, just managing motherhood this weekend. Cool, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me on Girl Boss Radio. I'm excited to join you on your podcast, Yoga Girl. Yay! Thank you for having me. So fun. Yeah, thanks for joining us.
And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Rachel Brathen, a.k.a. Yoga Girl, for joining us. I'll be joining Rachel for another conversation on her podcast, From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can check that out this Friday. And before you go, I just want to remind you to go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also Spotify. And if you have any suggestions on who you'd like us to feature on the show or you have any ideas on how we can improve, send an email to podcasts at girlboss.com. And remember, the Girl Boss Rally is coming. You can go to girlbossrally.com to find out more. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.